The media landscape in America is busted. Americans are on to the omissions, the half-truths, and the outright lies being propagated against we, the people. Your host, Tom Harris, will bring you the other side of the story. Science is all about questioning, being a skeptical inquirer, not proclaiming dogma and assuming facts. Therefore, we must be wary when governments, activists, and the press actively try to suppress people from looking behind the curtain, questioning what's really going on in politically correct science. Nowhere is this more apparent than in the field of climate change, where we have regularly seen unscientific and dangerous censorship and even intimidation. This is not an environment that encourages healthy debate, and so we are prevented from striving towards the truth and subsequently making policies based on what's happening in the real world. In the climate change debate, it's especially dangerous, for if we're not causing a crisis due to our CO2 emissions, then to enact policies that would radically change our society and way of living, putting countless people into poverty, would all be for no benefit. To discuss this, my guest today is Gregory Wrightstone, Executive Director of the CO2 Coalition that you can see on the web at co2coalition.org. Gregory is the author of the best-selling book, Inconvenient Facts, the Science that Al Gore Doesn't Want You to Know. I'll include a link to that book under the podcast when it goes up on Monday. Gregory is a geologist with more than 40 years of experience researching and studying various aspects of the Earth's processes. He earned a bachelor's degree from Waynesburg University and a master's from West Virginia University, both in the field of geology. He was an expert reviewer for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, AR6. The AR6 is the last IPCC report. So welcome to the program, Gregory. Oh, good to be on with you, Tom. Yeah, it's been a while. I think it's been over a year. In fact, I might have been your debut interview, as I recall. Yes, you and, were, back yeah. in 2021. Yeah, I think I was back with Jay Lair, um, God rest his soul. And uh, yeah, I've been busy. It's been a it's been a, a busy, busy, busy. And I've got a, a new book that's about this close to being done. Uh, oh, the wow. title is A Very Convenient Warming. Uh-huh. A modest warming and more CO two are benefiting humanity. Uh, yeah, it's 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 close, and hopefully by uh, sometime by late September it'll be out and available. Oh wow, that's great! So you'll have to send it to us, and we can boost it on our website and everywhere else. So, Gregory, I'd like to start with a discussion of why the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, canceled John Clauser's speech since he's a, now a member of the CO two coalition. So, what's going on there? Yeah, well, he's not just a member. We He joined our board of directors in May. Oh, wow. So he joined uh, other distinguished uh, people on our board, like Dr. Will Happer and Dr. Patrick Moore, uh, others you may not recognize, but that are members of the National Academies of Science and National Academies of Medicine. These are no intellectual lightweights that we have on our board. We're a little bit different uh, than other nonprofits who, you know, if you, you write a big check, you get on the board. These are these are actually scientists, engineers, and economists that have PhDs for the most part and have actually done things. Uh, so he was proud to join us, and he was he he had just accepted uh, the 2022 Nobel Prize for Physics. Um, interestingly, he pocketed the check, from what I understand, 
accepted the uh, medal around his neck, and then he proceeded to tell the committee how wrong they were in providing the 2021 Nobel Prize to these, uh, I think there were three, there, was, there were meteorologists and mathematicians uh, on climate modeling. And not only were they not physicists, but they got the models wrong mm. by a lot. And yeah. that's what he he railed against them. And so he's no he's no shrinking violet. And then he was honored at the White House. Uh, White House honored all the American nominees for 2022 Nobel Prizes. Uh, and after he was he was shaking hands with Joe Biden, he told Joe Biden, he said, the science you're using for both energy and climate is just wrong. Joe oh. Biden got angry at him, as Joe Biden is wont to do. Uh, yeah. And he said, you're just outing right wing science. So <laughs> Joe Biden's lecturing the current Nobel laureate in physics on science. <laughs> wow. I mean, come on. Uh, yeah. it, it just doesn't. It's rich. Uh, but he, he's uh, he was subsequently recently invited. Uh, he, he was a keynote speaker at Quantum Korea in Seoul, Korea. Yeah. Um, the, the, the keynote talk was, was about physics and quantum physics and particle entanglement and things I have no idea. That I can't, I don't know, I hope I'll never understand. But he was also asked to deliver an inspirational message uh, to the students who were there. And what he told them was that in no uncertain terms that there, there is no climate crisis. Uh, and then he went on to to really uh, take down the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Uh, he, he called them a fount of of misinformation, and he 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 pulled no punches. Yeah, yeah. I watched that speech, and I also noticed that he challenged the young scientists to fight against pseudoscience. You know, so he, it was a bit of an activist speech, which was really great, actually. Yeah. Um, and then he was invited by the International Monetary Fund, IMF, as part of their seminar series to talk about climate models uh, and where they got it right and where they got it wrong. And there was he was going to tell them it was a lot that was wrong and very little right. Uh, but uh, he, he was invited to speak. That was just last Thursday, July 27th. And the day before, the head of the IMF, that, that section of the IMF, ordered the woman that invited him to disinvite him. He said, yeah. we're going to, and he said, they, they said they were suspending it. That, that's an air quotes around suspending. Yeah. Uh, I doubt that he'll ever be invited back. Uh, there's, uh, there was, I understand there was a lot of pressure, not on him from everybody in the IMF to have John Klaus not speak. Um, so right now it's, it's just blown up worldwide. I've got, my talk walker alerts, which is a lot better than Google alerts. I, I get uh, CO2, just there must be 30 a day all around the world, Greece, Italy, France, um, Korean. I think it's Korean because it looks like it, uh, but it's just a, an enormous amount. I just got an email just an hour ago from a fellow from Switzerland. Uh, he said, this is a, a hot topic of discussion here in Switzerland. And there are two camps. There's one camp that says, wow, we have this notable scientist that's saying they've got it wrong. 
And then the other camp says, ah, oh, he's just an old, he did his uh, quantum physics, theoretical physics 50 years ago in the laboratory. He doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, they're comparing to some, you've probably seen the, the memes and on the on the internet about the grumpy old uncle that does that says there's no climate. You know, they were basically yeah. <laughs> they were comparing him to the grumpy old uncle that uh, you're going to, at meet at dinner and he's going to be spouting off nonsense, but he's not. He's a, I mean, this guy, the scientific work that he did, granted, it was 50 years ago. It just thought to be one of the greatest achievements within the last 150 years, including Einstein's. Mm-hmm. Uh, Einstein just did theory. He did, he actually, he proved this in the laboratory, this mm-hmm. quantum entanglement theory. It's not theory. He just, he proved that it was right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really blown up. So we're getting somebody like that. It's hard to call him a science denier. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it reminds me of a episode in Star Trek where Data, the android, was given the job of evacuating a colony because it was about to become reoccupied by aliens who were probably going to kill them all. And they didn't want him to talk. And so Data finally said, is your point of view so weak it cannot withstand rational debate? At which point they hit him with a laser beam and turned him off. And I guess that's what's going on here. And, and, you know, surely that must make a lot more people who are more neutral about the issue kind of suspicious when they basically shoot Dr. Klauser with a laser beam. <laughs> well, they, the IMF did it, but it backfired on them like we see so often. We, we use climate jujitsu to use their momentum that they use against us. We throw them and put them on their back, which is what we've done with this. Yeah. Uh, the Clouser thing has just exploded, like I say, worldwide. Uh, there's just, it's it's everywhere. The Daily Signal just had a big piece. I saw it a couple times today. Uh, we have tweets that have seen millions of views. Um, we've got, I don't know how many tweets and, and member tweets. We're seeing, when we're, when we're posting about this, we're getting quickly 150 200 300,000 views of, of a tweet and wow. it's just been a, I mean, this isn't just you know co2 coalition people like steve malloy uh just people involved with this people are seeing it and, and it's, it's 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 a good thing to know and, and have someone can that can do that and have this reach mm-hmm. well we just wrote an article my daughter and i who's my co-partner here she sometimes actually is a co-host and we wrote an article about Dr. Klauser's speech cancellation. And of course, what she's done, because she wrote the first draft, is she defines what the scientific method is. And of course, part of it is trying to prove theories wrong. <laughs> they don't want any of that. you know. So I mean, I think that this is actually going to really make a lot of people wake up. And so what was Dr. Klauser saying? Was he saying that most of this, the warming is coming from the sun or what? Well, his big thing, though, I, I my statement from the state CO2 coalition was that what he was going to talk about was that the science is not settled, in fact, mm. and that we shouldn't be basing trillions of dollars of spending on unsettled science, science that's not backed up by the scientific method, science that's using models that can't actually model uh, temperature correctly, which is what they're doing. Uh, mm-hmm. His main thesis that he was going to talk about were uh, the the underreporting of the effect of clouds on the Earth's temperature. He his thesis is that actually clouds provide a huge, huge negative feedback 
uh, that's unaccounted for in the models. Uh, mm-hmm. And even the IPCC admits that the greatest uncertainty of their climate models is clouds. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you can, you're anyone watching this right now can tell, yeah, clouds make a difference. It's cool. the sun in, in summer, and it, it might, it, the sun's there and it's 98 degrees. Um, and then the clouds comes over and it, it can drop by five or six degrees very quickly, immediately. And mm-hmm. so clouds can have a huge impact on the Earth's temperature. And he says it's, you know, he uses some pretty big numbers that, and one of the problems we have, he's not published on this yet, uh, but it's going to be interesting to, to have this captured. He was preparing his presentation to, de- to detail this for this IMF talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see if he gets back on, but uh, it's not the last you've heard from him. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's interesting. One of our scientists was actually talking to one of the previous environment ministers in Canada, and the minister was actually getting quite impatient because he didn't understand any of, any of it. And he finally said to the professor, he said, well, professor, you realize that science plays no role on the climate file. <laughs> so yep. at last, at least he was being honest anyway. I yeah. mean, yeah, exactly. So I think so, science. I, I I'm a big proponent. I I believe, and I other not others in our on our side agree with me. But I'm a big proponent. I believe that science is going to win the day. The argument can be won by. It's just a matter of getting that easily understood science out to the people, and if they see the things that we can, I give me ten minutes. Give me five minutes. With somebody that's not a radical like John Kerry, give me five minutes, ten minutes, with my cell phone and my eye, with my Inconvenient Facts app. Show them the data. Show them three hundred years of warming, and only the last fifty years could have been influenced by carbon dioxide. Show them the data that shows that we're actually in CO two starvation, some of the lowest carbon dioxide levels on Earth history. Show them the data that shows actually the the temperatures of today are some of the lowest ever. Show them the data Mm -hmm. of hundreds of years, thousands of years, and millions of years where CO2 and temperature did not, where temperature was not driven by CO2. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it hasn't done that for many millions of years, why is it doing it now? Um, Show them the data that says that uh, since the beginning of the first civilizations, all the other previous much warmer periods were hugely beneficial to humanity and mankind with great food production. And then show them the data that shows when it got cold, it was horrific. Cold always led to crop failure, famine, pestilence, and mass depopulation. That's what the data is. And I I tell you what, give give me five, 10 minutes for just about anybody. I've done it. And these people, their eyes get wide and they go, I didn't know that. What's the source? And I give them the source. <laughs> and they say, well, the, the, the most common thing I hear is, well, why, why, aren't, why aren't we being told this data? Or why are we being lied to? I gave a, a presentation not long ago to the Golden Gate Breakfast Club in San Francisco. These were mostly liberal Democrats. These were real, these were big muckety mucks from San Francisco that real estate moguls and other things. There, I think there were about 80 people that joined in the Zoom call. And, and I had an hour 45 minutes where they were dumbfounded. They that all of them were just wow, we've not seen anything like this. 
why are why aren't why aren't we being told? Why are being lied to? Uh, mm-hmm. And I get that a lot, Tom. I, I'm I'm just about every. I did 285. Just did for a semi-annual report for the coalition. I did 285 interviews in the last Ooh. 12 months. Yeah. Holy. So yeah. I mean, some days it's four and five and six a day. So I yeah. want to get this. We're getting the message out there. Um, and so that when I do this, people are just a lot of the hosts that I'm on with. They they say, well, why are they lying to us? And I. My stock answer is, I'm a scientist. I can't see inside men's and women's souls to see what their motivation is. Uh, I can tell you that this is what you're being told, and this is what the science says. And, and you know, you, I'll, I like to you, I would say you're just as qualified as I am, and anyone listening to this is just as qualified as I am to say why they're doing it. I can show you that they are being lied to. You can make up your mind, you know, is it funding? Is it greed? Is it, I hear hear it all, you know, the destruction of the Western societies and capitalism. And I I don't know. I think there are many reasons. And there are some that actually believe in this, but others have nefarious reasons for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a job for a social psychologist to look at it perhaps 10 years in the future. That'll be a very, very interesting study. This mass sort of uh, hypnosis almost to actually, uh, don't they have a term for that? What is it? Something of the delusion of the herds? Yeah. We'll have her always. <laughs> I want to go back to one issue, and that is clouds. You know, they're talking about actually purposely seeding the upper atmosphere with small, small particles in a geoengineering project to cool the planet. And apparently there's one company in the United States that you can actually pay to go up in balloons and put out a certain amount of particulate matter into the atmosphere to supposedly offset your carbon dioxide footprint. So, I mean, I would be very concerned about this because, I mean, to me, it's a little bit like taking the back off your computer and giving tools to a five-year-old with the power on and asking them to fix your computer. I mean, surely if we start monkeying around with changing the actual cloud cover of the earth isn't this dangerous oh come on tom what could go wrong come on i mean you're you're a conspiracy theorist obviously no well a lot could go wrong and you know that as well as i do um we don't know what the results would be we know that in the past large volcanoes have spewed it's mostly sulfates it's the particulates fall out pretty quickly um, but the sulfates that, that can last for several years and reflect the sunlight. Uh, and that's in the stratus. It's a little bit different than cloud. Well, it's similar to reflect, reflections from clouds. Um, so that's what they want to do is spread these. And they're talking about if they're seriously, their plan would be to use thousands of planes to fly, you know, and have this aerosol up in the atmosphere. Just think about this. This is, a, this is just part of an anti-human agenda. If you look at it, think back to middle school when you learned about photosynthesis. What do we need for, for, for growing plants? We need water, sunlight, carbon dioxide. And the more carbon dioxide, the better. So what, what do they want to do? And if you're on top of that, those are the three elements. But on top of that, you need nutrients like nitrogen to help with the crop growth. And so what's their plan? Number one, they want to reduce CO2 levels. Only now are we getting up near optimum levels of CO2 for crop growth and plant growth. Uh, we're, we're finally getting enough CO2 that we're not at suboptimum levels that's inhibiting plant growth. 
They want to reduce CO2, uh, which will inhibit crop growth. Number two, uh, there's a serious talk of, of significantly reducing or eliminating nitrogen fertilizer. Nitrogen fertilizer really took off in the 1950s after they figured out how to make it out of natural gas. In Russia, they make it out of coal. But this is ni- nitrogen fertilizer. It's, it's thought to be responsible for as much as 30% in the increase in crop growth uh, since the mid-50s. Uh, we saw what happened when they completely eliminated nitrogen fertilizer in Sri Lanka last year. Uh, they were mainly agricultural system. The entire agricultural system of Sri Lanka collapsed. Uh, the president was run out of the country on a rail. And uh, the Netherlands now is proposing to eliminate farms because of, the, of nitrogen fertilizer and methane. Uh, but they want to ban, and there's talk about banning. What, what, okay, so we're going to reduce carbon dioxide, stop inhibit plant growth and crop growth, uh, stop nitrogen fertilizers, inhibit crop growth, and now they want to block the sun, <laughs> inhibit crop growth. So all these three things, one on top of the other, we need, we're, we're feeding the world with increasing crop growth that is breaking records year after year after year in country after country from the cold countries to the warm countries like India are breaking crop growth records. And it's due to increasing CO2 fertilization, increasing drought resistance because of more CO2. We can talk about that in a minute. Increasing use of nitrogen-based fertilizers, and, uh, and and it's the warming temperatures. We're in a warming period. The warming temperatures uh, are hugely beneficial to crops. We have lengthened growing seasons, uh, so the killing frosts end earlier in the spring and arrive later in the fall. You know, we, you, I know around where you are, there are apple orchards, the fruit orchards. What's what's what kills them? A late spring frost. Yeah, and exactly. They're, they're they're dead for the year, and mm-hmm. you know with warming temperatures, they, that's delayed. It won't happen. Yeah. Well, you know, I understand that most of the plants in our environment actually evolved initially at a time when CO two was much higher, meaning that today they're starved. Is that right? They're. I, I wouldn't call them starved anymore. They might have been. Uh, before we start adding CO two, I would, I would say they're not they, they're not receiving optimum amounts of CO two, and mm-hmm. would probably that that optimal amount might be, we, from our, our experts say the the growth rate of increasing crop growth will probably continue through to about twelve hundred parts per million of CO two. They, from what I understand, they they I'm not an agronomist, but they tell me that after that. Plant growth will still continue, but not as high of a rate. Okay. More CO2 will continue to to aid. And we're, and I'm not an expert on that part of it. I I rely on our experts. We just were initiating a new paper on CO2 and nutrition. Mm -hmm. That's why they pump CO2 into greenhouses, right? Because they want to enhance plant growth. And also, you mentioned earlier that with higher CO2, they don't need as much water. Is that right? Yeah. And that's because. The second greatest moisture loss for plants after evaporation is is through the transpiration process. In other words, if you will, breathing in and out, the plants through the stomata, the pores in the plants are breathe. They're they're bringing in CO two during the day, 
And then for the most part at night, they're exhaling, if you will, oxygen for the most part. But along with that oxygen comes water vapor that's in there. And so that's a that's a huge water vapor loss to the plants. Uh, because of more CO2, they don't need to do as much. They don't need as there Since it's more concentrated CO2, the transpiration process is lessened. And mm. so they become, they, that aids drought resistance. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's, you know, with crop growth too, there's, there are things I argue with my daughter and my daughter and her, her husband about GMO crops, but GMOs have been another hugely beneficial aspect of this. And, and so if you so, look at and actually, and also pesticides, look at the two big things that really help with crop growth, pesticides and nitrogen fertilizers are created from fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. And so we want to go to net zero. All of these things combined, you know, they're all, they're all, if you go through with all of this that they want to do, crop growth will, will plummet. We're looking at famine, yeah, starvation. Exactly. Will Happer says, Dr. Happer, who's our chairman here, you know, he says it'll leave millions of deaths around the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, if you had a crystal ball, could you forecast? What would be the impact of a 1,200 parts per million, three times what we have today, CO2? What would we see? Well, I, well some of our, our experts say they, there's, a, there's a formula that they can use uh, that we can, we can estimate that. Uh, I, I can't put a number to it myself, uh, but we've seen just, if you look at the charts that I'm, I'm in my new book, I'm, I'm showing CO2 versus crop growth over the last Oh, 80 and 100 and, you know, 150 years. And just, there's just this real correlation between increasing. Well, there's a lot that goes into crop growth, technology, GMO, pesticides, nitrogen. So the, it's a complicated, you can't just point at CO2 and say, this is the sole reason crops are increasing. And and again, temperature is part of it, mm-hmm. increasing temperature. And we we had Vijay Jayaraj as our science and research associate. Uh, in India, and he he's looked a lot at that. And of course, India is one of the warmest nations on earth. And even in India, they they've tied increasing temperatures to increasing harvest, and mm-hmm. it's just things like carrots. He, t- he interviewed a farmer there that you know because of he's you know he's able to grow more cabbage carrots mm-hmm. because yeah. of warmer temperatures. You'd laugh. We actually had an, an expert from the UN specifically briefing MPs here in Ottawa when I was working as a science advisor in the House of Commons. And my MP couldn't go. So he asked me to go in his place. And I didn't realize at the time that you don't contest these people, certainly not in public. <laughs> but I did. So I put up my hand and I said, you're showing a, a, a world map of productivity in the year 2050 with increasing CO2. Because, of course, he was just showing places that were having bad results. I said, you're speaking to a group of Canadian MPs, and according to your map, we'll be able to farm all the way to James Bay, maybe even Hudson's Bay. I said, this looks really excellent for Canada. And the MPs all looked, and, oh, yeah, yeah, it would be good. <laughs> it, would, it would be good for Canada. And the, yeah. the UN guy, guy was quite angry, actually, because it kind of took the wind out of his sails. And um, yeah, so I mean, for Canada, for most of the world, increasing CO2 is a good thing. After the break, I'm hoping we can get into your new book and talk about the connection between human flourishing and planetary flourishing. So um, we'll be right back with Gregory Wrightstone of the CO2 Coalition after the break. 
The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus-hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too. Crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared, sea level rise has not been unusual, and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan, a plan based on real science that responds to the real world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure a plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. With the rise of independent media, we are now AmericaOutloud.news. For the genius of the United States is not found in its executives or legislatures, nor its ambassadors, authors, colleges, or churches, nor even in its newspapers or inventors. The genius of the United States is we the people. AmericaOutloud.news, liberty and justice for all. So I'm back with Gregory Wrightstone, a geologist who's the executive director of the CO2 Coalition that you can check out on the web at co2coalition.org. Gregory has a new book that discusses the link between human flourishing and planetary flourishing. Can you tell us about your book, Gregory? Uh, number one, it's not available yet. 
Uh, oh, okay. But it's and it's I'm, I'm very close to having it out to to the publisher. The uh, in fact, the old book, Inconvenient Facts. Uh, my my wrist. I'm having carpal tunnel surgery in the morning on this wrist, and so Ooh. I just signed 150 books in our office today. So I don't think that helped it. Uh, mm. So the old book is still going gangbusters, uh, which is incredible after seven years. It was just number one bestseller just a month and a half ago on a wow. couple of categories of Amazon. So it doesn't happen with books very often. Um, so the new book is called A Very Convenient Warming. How modest warming and more CO2 are benefiting humanity. Yeah. Um, we're close to having that uh, underway. Well, it's not more than underway, but uh, the publication's drawing close. Um, and and then it's in it's in three parts. The first section is just taking a look at temperature, CO2, and temperature versus CO2 through time. And I've got all updated charts in that. The second section is a thing that's near to my heart, and that's the strong relationship between the rise and fall of temperature and the rise and fall of civilizations. Uh, and I started for the most part looking at the first of the great three warming periods that predated our own current warming period. And that was called the Minoan warm period. And in that, the first great civilizations arose, the Minoans, the Hittites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, uh, Harappan, uh, empire that you probably never heard of in the Indus River Valley of India, great civilization. Uh, they all prospered and thrived in this period that was much warmer than today. And we know it was much warmer through what we call proxy data records like ice cores, sediment. Um, there are a number of other of these proxy records. I like to use historical documentation to confirm the warmth. People get that. They don't understand oxygen isotopes and things like that. I barely do. Uh, but if you tell them that and we're growing a crop called millet in Scandinavia, well, millets only can be grown today in subtropical areas. And Was that right? so, yeah, we looked at Denmark, had to have been significantly warmer at that time to, to grow this crop. And then it started getting cold quickly. And again, it led to horrific consequences. Uh, within maybe 50 or 100 years, all of those civilizations lapsed. The, it was called the Late Bronze Age Collapse. Mm, um, they all, they, they just uh, went kaput, and that led to the Greek Dark Ages. And it was called the Dark Ages because re there's really no records that came out of that. It was a dark period, and that's why the Dark Ages, uh, mm. with, with very little writings and cap history that we know much about. Uh, but it was horrific. Uh, we don't have records of the, the mouth of death, but it, it must have been enormous. Uh, mm -hmm. And it really didn't start getting better until, until it started warming up. Uh, and the next great warming period was the Roman warm period. Um, it was much warmer than today. For example, they were growing citrus in the north of England near oh. Hadrian's Wall. And wow. You can't, well, actually, as I, I got pushed back on uh, social media, they said, People are growing citrus in, in near Hadrian's Wall right now. I looked into it, and by goodness, they are. But you know what they have to do? They pull it in from their patios for, for five or six months of the year because it's too cold. <laughs> so they yeah. can, you can grow citrus in north of, in the north of England, but you better not leave it out during the winter months. Yeah. And so uh, 
you know, that's what you got. You know, these people, they, they grasp at every straw. Um, <laughs> and so civilization, you know, Rome, the army, it marches on, you got to feed it. And mm-hmm. they conquered um, the world's granary at that time was North Africa, Tunisia, and Egypt. Um, and they conquered that, which you, uh, you wouldn't think of Tunisia and Egypt, Egypt being wheat and mm-hmm. a place that you for agricultural prosperity, but it was at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, the, allow, the, the abundant food allowed Rome to uh, conquer most of the known world at that time. Mm-hmm. Didn't, the again, started- Empire, didn't, the, didn't the Roman Empire collapse partly because it got cold? And they couldn't get food as easily, you know, from their remote in their remote communities when they sent soldiers many distances away. Yeah, there were a lot of things that led to the, the, the collapse of Rome and the, 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 the fall of the Roman Empire. Uh, some of it was the, the northern Germanic tribes coming down. Uh, it's certainly possible that they were being driven down due to the cold. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a possibility. Uh, but nonetheless, it co- the, the collapse of, of the now this is the Western Roman Empire. The Eastern Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, continued for some time um, after that. But the most of the Roman Empire and around the world, these these great civilizations collapsed when it started getting cold again. And isn't it during cold periods when you see more extreme weather? Because Sally Balunas, you remember, she was from Harvard University. She was an astrophysicist, and she looked at various warming and cooling periods across the globe. And she said that the storms that were washing away villages on the coast of England were much worse during the cool period. Yeah, yeah. The main thing with the cold periods were it coincided with droughts, but also... For example, we, we have better records. The, the, the third great war period was the medieval warm period, time of the high Middle Ages. And when it went south, by going, well, when it went bad, it went very bad. Um, mm. And it was really, especially in Europe, that it wasn't drought that caused the failure. It was rain. It just started raining in I, I'm not going to give you the year, but it started raining and it wouldn't stop. They couldn't get mm. the crops in the ground. Those that they did rotted in the field because it wouldn't ripen because it kept raining. And it, it just went on for about seven years. Uh, and it, it was getting cold. It rained. And, you know, we're, we're, these are subsistence farmers living. You could survive one bad harvest, maybe two, but not seven in a row. Um, mm. So this led to famine, pestilence, and mass depopulation. We had uh, the the you know one thing we didn't talk about is the relate during the fall after the fall of the Roman Empire, we led to the Dark Ages again, and because of the, of the horrific nature, lack of food, people were weakened. It led to the to things like uh, the bubonic plague, and that first arrived. Actually, if you Google worst year ever. You'll know that that's the year 536, and it was after the eruption of of the volcano Hecla in Iceland that exacerbated the cold. And then following on the heels of that, it was uh, in 541 was the plague of Justinian that just was horrific, that just mm. decimated. In fact, it was funny, the... Uh, no, I think it was... The, uh, I think it's kind of funny. I guess I got a, a nonsense of humor, but... The uh, Mongols were besieging a Genoese port, their, their main, the main port city, 
uh, had almost taken it. They'd, they'd been besieging it for a couple of years. Uh, and then the, the plague hit. Plague had just been in, and they started losing soldiers thousands a day. These are the Mongols, the Potters. And, and so before they retreated, uh, they used their catapults to hurl all the dead bodies into the city. Huh. So now you got mountains of dead Mongols that are disease-riddled corpses that then spread that throughout the city. And then they took off and went, went back. But the Gen- Genoese were big, they were the big sailors at the time trading. And so now that was the impetus. And then this plague spread throughout the world on their ships. Uh, so this was probably the first use of a bioweapon. It's oh, nothing to do with climate, but it, it, it's uh, kind of it's just a fascinating bit of history. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah. So um, I'd like to talk about your Inconvenient Facts app. Can you tell us what that is and how we can see it, how we can use it? Yeah, you can just, it's a free app. Um, it's a search at Google Play or the App Store for Inconvenient Facts. It's got all 60 of the Inconvenient Facts that are on the phone. It's got charts, data. Um, you, what you what you have there, each one of that, each one of the, the facts are listed, and there's a chart that shows it. And then below each chart, you can go and uh, you can click on uh, beneath each chart. You can click what's the source. Click on source, and it takes you what the what the reference data was. There's another another link here to a video that I've created about that fact. Uh, and then you can click learn more to to see some text about what we're learning, learning about. So this way, Tom, if you're at Thanksgiving dinner, oh, you don't, sir, you guys don't have a, in Canada. Oh, yeah, what, we, what's your, we do it. It's just a month earlier than yours. <laughs> okay. So at your Thanksgiving dinner, you're sitting down and your nephew, Billy, says, Uncle Tom, did you know the polar bears are going extinct? And you go, wait a minute, Billy. Here's fact number 53. That's it's actually the fact number. And you can follow up. Here's 60 years of polar bear population, Billy. And you know, what's the source? Well, the source is here, Susan Crockford. This is her paper yeah. she wrote. And yeah. so you have this, you have this information. And it, it's it's a really useful app. Uh, I have people, I've I think we're approaching 200,000 downloads. Uh, interesting. I I uh, rolled it out on the Glenn Beck show. And oh, wow. two, it and it blew up. And I thought, it, I, well, I think we had 15,000 downloads in a couple of days. And I was, whoa, that's pretty good. And then Apple removed it from the App Store. Oh. And they did me a favor by doing that. Uh-huh. Again, I turn things like that on their head and we make lemonade. And yeah. so we use that. I had my friends, uh, first the Daily Signal exposed it. And then other news sites picked it up. And I, the next evening I was on with one American News with Laura Ingram the next day with Fox and Friends talking about how Apple's censoring this scientific data from this geologist that no one had ever heard of before. So everybody wants it then. <laughs> yeah, that was the, I have these, I've had these black swan events that have occurred that drive book sales. That was the first time it reached a number one bestseller. And huh. I'm kind of used to it now, but the first, if you have a book, and it makes number one bestseller the first time, and you've never done it before, you're just walking on clouds, ecstatic. <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, I've been blessed. Uh, Candace Owens, the black conservative commentator on the Daily Wire, has adopted me and my book. Uh, 
I don't know how she, she found it. She read it. And the first time she mentioned it on her podcast, she held up the book and she said, this book has changed everything I believe about climate change. Ah, she, yeah. Everyone in my audience watching this needs to buy this book is what oh, she wow. said. And apparently they did because it went to, it was like eight or nine overall on all books out of 12 million books. Um, and I, it was, it was, and she subsequently had me on, flew me down to Nashville and had me on her pot, interviewed me. And then mm-hmm. she speaks about it once in a while. I can always, I get a, I get a random bump in book sales. <laughs> oh, Candace is talking again. Yeah. So it's been, but again, it's incredible. Books should not do this. There should be a life cycle for a book and you sell a bunch at the front at the beginning and then it tails off, but this book won't die. And it's still, I think today it was like, five or six on environmental policy and environmental science. Well, you know, I'd like to talk a little about the use of science to fight the climate scare. And I mean, CO2 coalition obviously does exactly that. Sally Balunas from Harvard, who I mentioned earlier, when she was asked questions like, is it fair that China is putting out twice the emissions of the United States and they effectively have no limits? She'd say, I'm not even going to talk about that. She says those are irrelevant points because CO2 is not a threat scientifically. And then she explains the science. Now, I've actually talked to various conservatives at conferences who are leading the conservative party here in Canada. And I said, do you think that we're causing dangerous climate change? And they'll say no. I said, well, then why do you keep pushing it indirectly by getting into these arguments about who should reduce CO2 emissions? And they say, oh, well, we fought that war and we lost. And I said, you never fought that war. And, and surely the conservative approach, which we say all over the world, actually, to try to you know, argue about what's fair and things like that, surely that's a mistake. I mean, if there's no climate crisis, like Dr. Clauser says, then what the hell are you arguing about who puts out more CO2? Well, not only is there no climate crisis, uh, the CO2 coalition, we strongly believe that the, the additional emissions and additional CO2 in the atmosphere is hugely beneficial. Right. We see nothing but benefits. We see it's a huge positive. Uh, it's not driving catastrophic warming because, again, we've seen when it was much warmer than this, humanity flourished. We uh, And the CO2 coalition, bear in mind, we've got now 135 of the top scientists and engineers and economists. These They're just stellar scientists. And and that's our, that, that is our mantra is, you know, our own official motto is uh, we love CO2 and so should you. Yeah. Uh, we, we put up a, a billboard on the Pennsylvania Turnpike last year of a woman sleeping comfortably. And the, the, the text said, sleep well, there is no climate crisis. And again, my book that's coming out is, is really all about celebrating warmth and more CO2. The third section of my book, we talked about the first two, the third section uh, it, it's titled Life is Good and Getting Better. And actually, the first quote I have is the only the initial quote is the best is yet to come, mm. you know, from, from uh, the, the crooner, uh, the, the, the Frank Sinatra. Yeah, right. Frank Sinatra said, you know, the best is yet to sang, the best is yet to come. And that's what we see is life is good and man, it's getting better. And we can celebrate. That's a word we should use when we talk about what we're seeing today. We should celebrate the increase of CO2. We should celebrate modest warming. Uh, it's warmed. Here's another thing, Tom. 
think about this. What are they warning us about? They say we can't let it get a degree and a half Celsius warmer than what it was back before the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Okay, Tom, how much has it warmed since 1800? About 1.2 degrees. Okay, let's do the math. So there's only, they're warning us that it can't get three tenths of a degree warmer or everything's going to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Three tenths of a degree warmer is going to, if it got, if it got, that's about half a degree Fahrenheit. If it got three tenths of a degree centigrade right now where you sit, you wouldn't know it. Your mm-hmm. thermostat wouldn't be triggered. And if you're that worried about three tenths of a degree centigrade of warming, you know what you can do to alleviate it? Move 19 miles further north <laughs> or about 80 feet higher elevation. Yeah. And there you go. You're, you get, you've solved all your problems. You have to worry about it. That's that's what the difference is in three tenths. That's what they're warning us about. Yeah. And people don't understand this. It's it's they're hypochondriacs. I mean, basically, <laughs> it's like measuring your body temperature to a hundredth of a degree and getting excited because, oh, my God, it went up by uh, seven hundredths of a degree, you know. But it strikes me then that conservatives have got to have a lot more courage, a lot more strategic sense too, not to get into these arguments about who or how much CO2 should be reduced and things like that. They should simply say there is no climate crisis. Warming is good. CO2 is good. Stop it. Stop scaring all the kids. I mean, surely exactly. that's to do and, and we, we we have these people calling for a conservative solution to climate change yeah you know, the, these these they're not conservative and there is no it, it's not a it's not this conservative solution they want to sequester co2 which is a horribly bad idea in fact we just hired a new research and science associate his name is byron Sapoyan. He was working he was one of the top researchers doing research into carbon sequestration. Uh, capture carbon capture and sequestration. He he dealt more with the carbon capture part because he's a, a chemical engineer and boys he, he's all engineer too. Uh, yeah. But he, he learned from our website about CO two and its benefits. He then contacted Dr. Will Happer, and Will like he does responded to Byron and said you know you know this is these are the facts here you need to go read this. Um, and I he passed along Byron's resume to me, and I contacted him. And Byron says, "I want to come work for you." Ah, and I great. Said, well, so I tried. I said, "Well, you know, it's going to be difficult. You're into carbon sequestration, and that's antithetical." And he says, "No, I just." And the next time I talked to him, we put him on part time. Two weeks later, I talked to him, um, and I started grilling him a little bit. He says, "Well, I quit my job. I couldn't do it anymore." And he realized he was working for the dark side. He mm. needed to go over the forces of light, you know, and, and he, he left, you know, the evil empire of carbon sequestration. And now he's he's working. He just loves it. He yeah. loves what he's doing. He loves and he's um, it's kind of a I guess he's, he's embraced this and it's yeah. just he, he loves doing what he's doing now. Are there links to some of his work on your site? Uh, he just started out. Oh, okay. Um, he's only done one interview. It might be a good interview for you, maybe not for an hour, but he's cutting his teeth. Uh, mm-hmm. 
he was he, had, he did did his first interview just two weeks ago. Yeah, um, he, he's not written anything yet. He's working. I have him working on uh, a Montana report. It'll be Montana and climate change, mm-hmm. uh, and we're doing that because of the Montana versus Help lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also going to be working on uh, Texas and climate change. We just released and published uh, our report called the American Midwest Midwest and climate change. Uh, Life is good in America's breadbasket and getting better. And mm-hmm. it just documents the, the Midwestern states, the 10 states of the Midwest. We look at the temperature, high temperatures. We look at, at, at growing seasons. We look at uh, low temperatures, which are right all over. Everywhere we look, we find that uh, the low temperatures are increasing. And that's a really good thing. Yeah. Again, frosts, you know, pulling frosts are, are lessened. Uh, and so he's working on those things right now. Mm-hmm. You know, tell me what you think of this strategy. We originally wrote a large report on the problems with the Ottawa City of Ottawa climate change plan. And we had at the beginning that it wasn't necessary and we explained the science. And then we talked about the detrimental impact and the infeasibility and the, you know, the policy mistakes, et cetera. And somebody pointed out to me, you know, a lot of people will read the beginning part and say they're a bunch of deniers and they won't even get to the second part. So we decided to do it differently. We have written one report, which we put out a year ago, which talked about the detrimental impact, the costs and the infeasibility. And we've been pushing that everywhere, everywhere. And then as people start to read this and understand, oh, my God, this is like crazy. We're going to be freezing in the dark. Uh, man, then they start to say, is this really necessary? Well, we're ready to put out the second report to say, no, it's not necessary. And so maybe that's the way to get conservatives to uh, address the science is to show them the detrimental impacts and then say, and it's completely unnecessary. You think that would be a good strategy? Yeah, I think it's a twofold strategy we have to employ. We're we're, we're considerably different from other groups because we do stick to the science. And so when it comes to, you know, policy and things like that, what we've done is we've provided science to support the policies. But for us actually to go through and, and look at the the economic impact of everybody, that's, uh, there are other people doing that out there. And I think they, they would do it much better than what we do. So I, I want to stick to our strengths. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I stay pretty firmly focused on that and I keep our people focused you know we're- yeah so that's, that's interesting because then you can work as in partnership with other groups they show the cost you come in and say yeah and the whole thing's a mistake and here's why so it sounds to me Gregory like the main message perhaps besides the discussion of Dr. Klauser and your phenomenal book that's about to come out the main message perhaps is that conservatives have to have more courage to say what you're saying and to actually pull up that app and say, you're saying X, Y, Z, but it's not true. So stop scaring the kids. I mean, isn't that the main message that we just have to have more courage in bringing up the reality of the science? Yeah, it is. And those, those congressional people need to be educated. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the challenge, uh, with just some basic facts that, that they only need to have. And a part of it's the benefits of CO2. I think that's a strong, strong message. And yeah, that's really sure. we, we push that strongly. Yeah. Well, I'll be testifying again to the Environment Committee for the City of Ottawa in the fall. And I'm going to push your stuff right at that committee here. Right. 
when you do this, we have, we've just launched a new website, scientific learning website, co2learningcenter.com, co2learningcenter.com. We okay. have books, videos, and importantly, we have lesson plans. So we've created for each. So if you're a homeschooling parent or a charter school, uh, we just got back from the Southeast Homeschool Expo in Atlanta, Georgia. We're warmly received. We had one gentleman that I, I was not there, but my people on our education committee, they said that fellow came off. He said, this is the most important booth in this entire conference. Oh. And, he, and so he said, what you're doing is so important. And mm-hmm. so these lesson plans were created by Dr. Sharon Camp, PhD in analytic chemistry. She's an AP science teacher, AP reader for the AP science. And so she developed these. They're wonderful. Oh, and wow. so we're, we're not even, we were alarmed at, at the indoctrination of our students and mm-hmm. that they're teaching group thing and indoctrination instead of critical thinking skills in the scientific process. And so what we want to do is, is push, push the scientific process and critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and it's so we're not just talking about it; we're doing something about it. Uh, people are responding greatly to that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, we have to wrap up now. It's an inspiring discussion talking to you, and I'll make sure that we include co2learningcenter.com under the podcast when it goes up on Monday. So, my guest today has been Gregory Wrightstone, the executive director of CO2 Coalition. That's co2coalition.org. So this is Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story.